0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فإن لم تفعلوا فأذنوا بحربي من الله ورسوله وإن تبتم فلكم رؤوسوا موالكم لا تزلمون ولا تزلمون But if you do it not, then beware of war from Allah and his messenger And if you repent, then you shall have your original sum Thus you shall not wrong, nor shall you be wronged in commentary of this verse, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih al-Masih Allah explained that war from Allah and His Messenger is a warning that if society does not leave interest, it will create world wars. And the principle that is described here is that when people begin to rely on interest-based capitalism, then essentially it is borrowing from our future. Whether this happens on an individual level or on a societal level, a person is not able to afford something at present, and so he borrows from his future in order to improve his present standard of living. And while he feels that he is more wealthy in that moment, but in fact his total assets are decreased, the total money that he has is decreased, because he is paying more for the same thing that he could have bought if he had saved up, but to have it earlier he is paying a fee. So, this is the whole problem with interest, in that it is a means by which a person psychologically tricks himself into thinking that he is richer while making himself poorer. And when he borrows from his future, then he becomes more poor in his future. Now, when this ha- applies on a societal level, then those who are poorer in society, they continue to become poorer and poorer. And then those who are the ones who are giving interest, they continue to become richer and richer. And this divide that exists in society, it becomes more and more aggravated until there is discontentment, there is discord, and then there is a type of civil war that eventually breaks out between classes. Huzoor also explained that this happens between different countries as well, that when rich countries are accustomed to a luxurious standard of living and they start to suffer economically then because of their greed and their desire to hold on to their luxury, they become oppressive to poor countries that are indebted to them. And this sows the seeds of great wars. So this is something that we've seen as a way by which wars have happened in the past. In fact, World War I, um, after World War I finished, one of the main reasons that the Second World War happened was because of the debt that was unjustly placed upon Germany. And when this debt was placed upon them, Then, naturally, it created an agitation among the people, an economic agitation, that then expressed itself in political extremism. So at its root, it is an economic issue that that, that shows its symptoms in political extremism. Where there is economic comfort and soundness of an economic system, then political extremism doesn't even arise because there is no need for it. So this is an experience that has been repeated again and again. This is what we see that happened in Germany. It's what we see that happened in Syria as well. Many times people say that ISIS, God forbid, is a true interpretation of Islam. But in fact, it is an extremist political ideology that is a result of economic instability. It's the same story that repeats itself. The people in Iraq are plenty familiar with the language of Arabic and the scriptures of Islam. So why is it that ISIS has never existed before the coming of economic instability to that area. But as soon as a vacuum of power is created, and their whole world is turned upside down, to a point where millions and millions of people are forced to leave what was previously a stable country, where education and professional opportunities were available. But that's the extent to which there is, a, there is an upheaval in that area. So as a result of a complete absence of economic opportunities, Then when ISIS initially came in and promised people the basic stability that was needed for uh, economic future, then many of the people thought it was not that bad. They rationalized it to themselves. They thought that at least it is better than the complete chaos that exists at present. So when there is economic chaos, then it sows the seeds for political extremism and for a population that is otherwise educated and reasonable to accept something that is ordinarily inconceivable, but in comparison to the absolute chaos that exists, it is the better alternative. This is how all dictatorships have functioned and this is also how these extremist groups have risen as well. It is not that that dictator or that extremist political philosophy seems good in and of itself, in isolation, without comparison to something else. It only seems better in comparison to the drop in the standard of living that people are accustomed to and the chaos that they are facing. So Huzoor said that when those countries that are rich, when they face an economic difficulty, then naturally they immediately try and gain more funds from the poor people that they are oppressing. Even here in the United States, there are huge amounts of money that is paid to us by poor countries because of the economic development that we did in their countries and the infrastructure that we developed at an inflated price. And so it is essentially interest that is being paid. So when we face difficulty in the, uh, the, the economic standards of our people, then naturally we push those who are already suffering to give more, to pay more, to maintain the standard of living that we presently enjoy. So this is the way in which when the system is corrupt in that way, then in a way there is blood on everyone's hands. This is something that is applied from the history of slavery through colonialism up until today. Even in the time of colonialism, when there was a need, an economic need in the home country, then they were pushed to tax their colonies and oppress them economically. And this is what created agitation within the colonies as well. One of the reasons for the Revolutionary War that happened here in the United States was because of the expensive wars that England was taking part in. And because of that, there was a need felt to maintain the economic standard and to meet the budget that was there in the homeland. And because of that, higher taxation was imposed on the colonies, and naturally it creates agitation. And then eventually it created a revolutionary war. So across the board, whether it is on a social level, an individual level, an international level, this is the source of agitation. In his recent peace symposium address, Hazura al ta'ala bin Asir al-Aziz also explained that the source of agitation, the racism, the political extremism, the xenophobia, all of these things, Hizuri said that at its heart is economic uh, injustice. Hizuri said that, indeed, it is my belief that the underlying cause of most resentment in society tends to be economic and financial frustration. Certain groups take advantage of such anxiety by laying the blame at the feet of immigrants or at the followers of religion and incite sentiments of hatred towards them. Now we see right now in the United States there is a huge wave of xenophobia, of a hatred for immigration among certain segments in society. But it is those same segments of society and it is this same country that brought those illegal immigrants in in the first place. So why is it that there is now a xenophobia whereas before it wasn't there? Before there was economic stability and opportunities for all of the native people in this country and there was a need to bring in immigrants to do the tasks that the native people of this country didn't want to do. And so those illegal immigrants filled a vacuum that was needed in society of fulfilling a role of a person who you could call a slave. As long as that person didn't imagine himself as equal, didn't try to take away the economic opportunities of those who are native, then there was no problem with them. As long as they know their place as slaves, as an inferior segment of the population, then there's no need for xenophobia. Then we open them with, welcome them with open arms. But naturally after a generation or so, then as they become accustomed and accommodated in this society, as their children start to grow, as they gain educational opportunities, as they work hard and work their way up in that society, then those same people who are only supposed to be doing menial tasks for below minimum wage, who are used as slave labor, those people start to compete with those who are native for the same jobs that they do and if those people who are natives in this country don't have any expertise by which they actually earn their living and if anybody can come along and do that same job then their position is threatened of course those people who are educated who are professionals who are irreplaceable in a sense they cannot easily be replaced and so they have financial and economic security they have job security but those people who are just enjoying inflated wages for work that could be done by someone else for a far lower wage. So those same immigrants who are being paid slave wages or lower than minimum wages, when they start to climb that economic ladder, then they're willing to do those jobs for a lower wage. And so now those people are out of a job. Now their economic opportunities and their job security is being threatened. And so now xenophobia arises. Now there's a hatred for immigrants. When the immigrants are being brought in, those same people had no hatred for immigrants. We need these people to, do, to, to give cheap, cheap labor for jobs that we don't want to touch. There we can open them with open arms. But xenophobia arises when there is an economic threat that those immigrants uh, 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 present to the jobs and the economic stability that people have. So Azur said that indeed it is my belief that the underlying cause of most resentment in society tends to be economic and financial frustration. Certain groups take advantage of such anxiety by laying the blame at the feet of immigrants or at the followers of religion and incite sentiments of hatred towards them. So when we have a rise of frustration in society, as those immigrants begin to rise in society and those native citizens of the country begin to lose their jobs, then there is a collective frustration that begins to arise among that native population. That frustration expresses itself firstly in the form of anger, then in the form of hatred. And this is a very easy emotion to capitalize on. And so then it is only inevitable that such politicians rise who capitalize on that hatred. It's a political tool, it's a political potential. And anyone who d- fails to use that political potential is one who is foolish, in fact. Although he throws the country in the fire and he basically uh, sabotages the entire country for the sake of his own political uh, individual gain. But still with that opportunity being there, if a person doesn't capitalize on that opportunity as a politician, it would be foolish. So it's not really the politician who creates the situation, it's in fact the situation that created the politician. If we go to the economic instability that existed in other places as well, it was inevitable that that hate be capitalized on that anger which resulted in hate. So this is the situation that we see in our country right now. There was already a frustration that was there. And that frustration was allowed to become an anger. And that anger was allowed to become a hatred. And this is something that the media fueled as well. But when there is an economic interest for the media to put forward such material that appeals to people's baser emotions, then of course they're going to get paid more. Those that make better advertising, they're able to get better primetime spots and they're able to get more and greater and greater exposure. So it's easy to see how it's a vicious cycle that self-perpetuates. And there's really no way to stop it unless there is a voice of reason, unless there is a voice, an imam or a khalifa, for example, as the Jamaat has. Otherwise, everyone follows the lowest common denominator. And so this is the pattern by which we have reached the situation that we are at now. And this is not a new situation or a new pattern. This is a pattern that has happened countless times before in history. So when that economic instability comes, then those frustrations are there that are an untapped political uh, fuel that can be used by anyone who is willing to use it. And it's only a matter of time before someone comes along who is willing to use it. This is also the reason why those same politicians who today are able to be at the highest levels of controlling the government, controlling the population, controlling those who are in power, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they would have never been able to exercise that same control. They would have been thrown out of the political sphere. In fact, 10, 15, 20 years ago, they were considered so disgraced that nobody wanted to even touch them or get close to them. At those times, that same frustration didn't exist. That same anger and hatred didn't exist. And so when people were in their right minds, then because of the relative economic stability that existed, And even if there was instability, it had not become so prolonged and unjust that it had created frustration and anger and hatred. So at those times, those politicians were giving the same message, but they they, they weren't able to gain any traction. So when economic injustice and instability continues for a long period of time, Then it creates that environment of frustration and anger and hatred. And then it's inevitable that when that ground is ripe for sowing the seeds of hatred, then someone will come along and sow those seeds. So Hazur said that the solution to the world's problems are solving the economic problems that we see in the world. And when those economic problems are solved, then people will not have time for hatred. People won't have the, you know, they won't give any attention to people who sell anger and try to appeal to their anger. Hazur said that, nonetheless, I firmly believe that if the major powers set aside their own vested interests and strive earnestly towards improving the economic conditions of poor nations and treat them with sympathy and respect, such issues would never arise. Here Hazur also explained that the whole immigration crisis is something that is created because of the backwards foreign policies that exist in superpowers. The reason why people want to leave their country is because of the deplorable economic state in their countries. And many times that state is not something that happened on its own, sometimes it does happen on its own. It happens because of internal corruption and issues, but many times it is because of external involvement. And when we look, for example, as I gave the example before of Syria and Iraq, those people were perfectly comfortable in their countries. Those are stable countries with educational and economic opportunities. Those immigrants who had to leave and come into Turkey and Europe, they never wanted to leave their countries. They don't want to be in Germany or in the UK or in all these other places. They would have never chosen that themselves. But it was because of the complete chaos that was created there because of the failed economic policies of the United States and Russia that they were forced to leave. Also, here in the United States, we see the huge amounts of immigration from countries like El Salvador and other countries. All of these countries in Central America and South America, many of them were a place where there was a cold war that was happening. A fight for control between the Soviet Union and the United States. And there was a propping up of dictators. There was an interference in political process by which there was an attempt from the Soviet Union to try and get communism to plant its seed here. And then the United States was forcing its way even through dictators to make sure that even even if democracy had chosen communism that a dictator would be able to oppress it and would free those people and give them the democracy that they, they didn't even know that they wanted or needed. So it was because of that interference in those areas, the political interference, economic interference as well, that many of those countries are in shambles And why there was a need for immigration towards the United States in the first place. If the economies and the political stability of those countries hadn't been destroyed by the foreign policy of the United States in the first place, then there never would have been this issue of immigration. Those people would have been perfectly happy living in the stability and in the comfort of their own homes and of their own countries. So here Huzur explains this principle as well, that the problem is in fact created and manufactured by the same people that complain about the consequences of those problems. Huzur said, that I firmly believe that if the major powers set aside their own vested interests and strive earnestly towards improving the economic conditions of poorer nations and treat them with sympathy and respect, then such issues would never arise. As we said that if those countries who have been centers of war or division are enabled to prosper economically, they will no longer harbor frustrations or bear hatred for other countries, nor will their people be forced to migrate. We see in many of these countries that are economically depressed, that the same frustrations arise among their populations. When they start to see the standard of their living fall, when they start seeing people having to be put out of their homes, barely being able to feed themselves, they begin to starve. Naturally, they're going to be frustrated as well. If people in this country start to get frustrated and begin to hate immigrants just because they can't pay their cell phone bill, then imagine how frustrated a person is going to be when they see one of their children starving to death. And then when they see that the reason their child is starving to death is because of the interference in their own country's autonomy by a foreign power, then naturally they're going to develop some hatred for that foreign power. And on top of that, when they see that a huge amount of the money that that their government has, that the taxpayers pay, goes to service interest-based debts, that those same superpowers are imposing on them oppressively, and that money which could have been used towards the infrastructure of their own country and of developing in the economy of their own country is going to them being basically robbed for paying amounts that they've already paid off, but now they're just servicing the interest on debts, then how can we imagine that they wouldn't be angry in that situation? So this is the hate that is produced by injustice. And if injustice is taken away, then the opportunity for hatred goes away. The opportunity of frustration goes away which creates that anger and creates that hatred. So the hatred and that anti-American sentiment that exists in many countries today happen because of the same pattern by which and xenophobia and Islamophobic hatred exists in many segments of our own society. It is because of economic instability and economic injustice. And when those issues are solved, then that frustration, anger and hatred goes away on its own. Mr. Muslim who who explained in commentary of this uh, verse also that, <clears throat> and uh, I don't remember now, maybe it was Mr. al farabi who expanded on this point, that when Allah Ta'ala says that um, those who, do not, who will not leave interest, then they should prepare themselves for war from Allah and His Messenger. That what is meant here is that when a people defy the laws of Allah Ta'ala, then they bring war upon themselves and that war becomes a punishment for them from Allah Almighty. Zur explained that, for example, in World War I, the amount of money that was spent daily by England and by Germany, by these different countries, it is something that the population never would have sustained. In fact, that war could not have been sustained if those countries had not taken out interest-based loans, if they had not taken out loans out of desperation to sustain the war effort and put their countries into huge amounts of debt that they were uh, under for, 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 for years after that. Not only that, Huzoor explained that if the population themselves had been taxed for the daily expenses of war, then they never would have allowed for that war to go forward. But it's because they were blinded from the consequences of war that they allowed it to go forward and there was popular support for it. Huzoor explained that within a year the country's ability to sustain World War I was was, was filled. They They could not meet it anymore. And the population was kept distant from the battlefield. The horrors of the battlefield there was a different perception there on the ground and a different perception in the propaganda at home. And so the population continued to support the war effort. Then also the population was kept distant from the financial cost of the war in that the loans were taken to support the war effort. So if the people had been aware of the on-the-ground realities of battle, then they would have been horrified by it. And if they had been directly taxed for the daily expenses of the war, then they would have, within a few days, gone up in arms and said that we can't sustain this war, find a way to make peace and they would have put pressure on their politicians to immediately make peace. But it's all because of this interest-based loan system that World War I and World War II were prolonged long after they should have naturally come to their own end. And Huzoor also explained that the prolonging of these wars brings about suffering for these countries. Millions and millions of people died because of wars that became prolonged past the point of sustainability and they became wars of attrition. So here also, this is a huge suffering that was inflicted on those countries because of their use of interest-based loans. So this is harbu minallahi Allahi wa rasulihi. This is what is described in this verse. That a natural consequence of breaking the laws of nature is the punishment of war coming upon people. And this is not ordinary war that comes upon them. This is war that comes as a result of breaking the laws that Allah Ta'ala has set. And so this is the punishment that comes upon them. So in the same way that a plague sometimes comes upon people, STDs come upon people as a direct result of their disobedience of the commandment of Allah Ta'ala, of premarital intimacy. That also, when a person, Allah Ta'ala, has created a law of nature by which they are inflicted with a disease and an infection as a direct result of a behavior that goes against the commands of Allah Ta'ala, then in that situation it becomes a punishment. So also these horrific wars that continue for year after year, wars of attrition, that decimate populations, that result in mass rapes of the women of those populations, this is in fact not just an action and reaction, a consequence, this is just a part of life and suffering in this world. This is punishment from Allah Almighty, and this is a war from Allah Almighty and His Messenger. So this is (coughs) one of the meanings of this verse (coughs) that Allah Ta'ala describes that the, the system of interest is something that has been condemned in very strong words in the Holy Qur'an. And it is not without reason. You know, a person may read this and think that this is just a type of financial transaction. Why is it that the Holy Qur'an has taken it so seriously and said that those people who do not leave it, then they should prepare for war from Allah and His Messenger? The reason is because it is a, a, a teaching of great gravity. That carries huge consequence in this world. And the last two world wars and the unprecedented devastation that they brought upon the entirety, almost entirety of humanity, was exactly because of the result of disobedience of these principles of Islam. So, this is the reason why such great emphasis is placed on these points. <clears throat> so, these points, will end today's daras and we'll go for iftar. Allahumma <laughs> salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad, wa barakusalli minna Khamidum